0: Thank you, Jim. Well, we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning. Uh, before I go into my sermon, um, which I know you're all dying to hear today, um, I want to share a song with you, and I will do my best not to, I don't know how this works, here we go, maybe, no? Sorry, pulling an audible this morning. Um, So I want to share a song with you all. And I think it leads into our topic well. Um, Because this morning, as all the songs have been kind of alluding to, we're talking about joy this morning. But joy is not always, well, uh, it's not something that's always happy um, in fact in my life something that I found is uh, usually the greatest moments of joy are b- born out of the greatest moments of sorrow um, or trial and so this morning I want to share a song with you uh, Richard has the words he'll be putting them up here on the screen and uh, so you uh, don't feel obligated to sing along it's okay it's kind of a special music sort of thing but if you'd like to sing along and you're not choking up at that point then you're welcome to sing along as well Um, but I just want to share this with you because it's a song that I discovered uh, about a year before the pandemic Uh, I was in the thick of selling appliance parts and uh, working full-time and um, and uh, leading worship at a church, and there's this one songwriter who, man, most of what he writes just it, it hits somewhere just deep inside for me. So I love it, and I want to share that with you this morning before we dig into the word.
1: Through the sorrow I will sing Through the pain I will sing Until the morning When your mercy comes again Nevertheless Go, hide me in your heart Banish every fear That's tearing me apart Only you can say, Only you can save me now I will see Through the silence I will
0: try to talk about what we're going to talk about this morning I might need some coffee though a little coffee and a little Jesus makes the world go round What, uh, what that song means to me is in my darkest moments whether it's me me being caught up in sin, whether it's me um, just having the weight of the world press in on me, that God is my salvation, and that not only can I have hope, like we talked about last week, not only can I have hope in Jesus, but I can also take joy in Him and that I think maybe the aim of the Christian life is less about the forgiveness of sins, although that's a big part, and I'm not diminishing that whatsoever. However, I believe that the Christian life and the aim of the Christian life is intimacy with God. It's oneness with the Father that we would be one as Jesus and the Father are one and that we would be with him and this whole big communion fest going on between us and the Lord. And so with all our sniffles and drying those tears, I want to introduce today that uh, you can go to the first slide here. So, the title for today's talk, um, I don't know if I want to call it a sermon. It's not a full expose, but it's uh, more of a homily. But uh, the title for today's message is God Gives Joy. Our passage is going to come from Isaiah chapter 12. We'll read the whole thing. It's one of the shorter chapters in Isaiah. I love it. And the big idea that we're going to be discussing today is that we will have joy when god is our salvation we will have joy when god is our salvation now spoiler you might say now brother tim isn't god our salvation now so can't we talk about that now well yes um but in the context of isaiah uh, they hadn't fully they didn't know jesus they knew uh, they knew their covenant God, Yahweh, who is Jesus, but they didn't know the manifestation of Jesus. They didn't yet have uh, the hope of Christmas that we get to celebrate together on the day, uh, December 24th and 25th, that all of Christendom has decided, hey, here's what we're doing. So uh, so that's, that's that. So just as a, a review... Last week we covered Isaiah chapter 9, and we talked about the hope that is found in the Messiah who was supposed to come, that this was a people uh, in the nation of Judah through a series of circumstances, which I won't take the time to discuss now. um, The one nation of Israel that had been united under King David and King Solomon uh, eventually split into a northern kingdom which held, the, which held ten tribes of Israel and then the southern kingdom of Judah that contained the, uh, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And so in the book of Isaiah, when God is declaring these prophecies to the people, he makes a distinction between who he's talking to. Because at this point in the story, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel had not been exiled into Assyria yet, um, and neither had the, the kingdom of Judah. And so um, today, I, I don't know why that's important, other than just to set the context of Isaiah. Last time we talked in Isaiah 9 that this was a people who, uh, they were existing under a wicked king. Who was not leading them in the ways of the Lord like King David had done. And that they were in the middle of a national conflict where they, uh, you know, famine would have been going on, uh, uh, besieging of Jerusalem and the surrounding country area, right? Um, This was not uh, a happy, positive time. Uh, There was probably a lot of fear going around. Uh, There was probably a lot of sadness, a lot of crying, um, intermixed with people uh, caught up in their idolatry and trying to um, remedy this broken condition with the things that they thought would satisfy it outside of God. And so um, in Isaiah, things are pretty harsh at the beginning, God's issuing judgment. Um, Isaiah has this encounter with the Lord um, and basically God says, okay, I'm going to send you to these people, and they're not going to listen to you. Congratulations. And, uh, but the beautiful thing about Isaiah is that Isaiah is one of the more hopeful uh, prophets because many of the prophecies are pointing to Jesus. Now, between Isaiah 9 and... In Isaiah 12, we have Isaiah 11 in there, which is where um, God promises that a righteous branch will come out of the root of Jesse. Um, You can read more about it uh, in your own time, but that's one of those messianic prophecies that's saying, I will send a deliverer, he will be your savior, and he will set all things right. And on the heels of this, Isaiah prophesies a song that the people will sing. And so let's read that together. It's up on the screen in the English Standard Version. Um, But whatever translation you choose to read from is a okay with me as long as you read it. Um, So Isaiah chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. You will say... In that day I will give thanks to you O Lord for though you were angry with me your anger turned away that you might comfort me behold God is my salvation I will trust and will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Amen. God gives joy, and we will have joy when God is our salvation. I want to use... Uh, I have some points that I, I drew from uh, these verses here that we'll talk about in a moment, but I want to use... Uh, an illustration to kind of frame the story. So up on the screen uh, we have a picture of George Bailey and his family from the wonderful Christmas classic "It's a Wonderful Life." Um, I saw it for the first time last night in color. I've seen it uh, tons of times in in black and white, and there were so many parts. I never picked up on, ever. I'm like, wow, that's scandalous for a 1960s film. Woo! Okay. Um, But here we are. So uh, now I'm willing to make the bet that you all have seen It's a Wonderful Life. Um, But so just to give a summary of the movie in case you haven't watched it again this year. So there's this guy named George. He grows up in a small town and he's the older brother of his uh uh, i think it was just him and his younger brother harry and so um george is he's he's the steady eddie he's the guy who i mean when things go to pot you call on george and so um oftentimes through the movie george is this guy with big vision and big dreams And somehow they keep getting squashed by these responsibilities that are placed on him or things that are outside of his control for example he couldn't go into the army uh, or into the service during World War II because he had the ear thing where he couldn't hear out of an ear because he had saved his younger brother Harry earlier in life and it was this whole thing and you know and so then there comes this point, he's the, he's the owner, manager guy of the building and loan company and uh, the dear old uncle who is a little bit senile, a little bit, um, uh, he misplaces $8,000 and that's, you know, that's the conflict in the movie. I mean, there's been a lot of conflict to that point, but this is where it gets, I mean, yeah, you guys know. So... But my point is, is, so then he goes and he, he considers suicide because he, in the, the turnabout of the movie, we discover that his life insurance policy is more than he's actually his net worth at the time. And so to get out of this problem, he's thinking, wow, man, maybe people would be better off without me and things would be okay. Well, so then that's where the theology starts to get a little bit weird and, you know, an angel comes down and this doesn't happen necessarily in real life, right? And uh, this angel who doesn't have wings yet, angel second class, and, um, <clears throat> uh, comes down uh, and is helping George through kind of like a Charles Dickens sort of situation where he's discovering what life would be like had he never been born and at the end of it all or like through that experience george gets a revelation that actually he has made quite an impact on his community and his life isn't really that bad as much as he has all these big dreams and big visions and things and he gets keeps getting squashed down and he gets really cranky about it to say the least um he has this revelation and it's that revelation that saves george bailey in the movie right now how this connects to our passage is that god is promising a day to the people of judah and israel that there's going to come a day Beyond all the sadness and all the sorrow and all the pain that they've been experiencing, there's going to come a day when they would say, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. They wouldn't be thanking a Baal for it. They wouldn't be thanking some other god or some other, I don't know, shrine prostitute or something. They wouldn't be thanking them. They'd be thanking the Lord, the covenant-keeping God who had delivered them out of Egypt. The one who had actually given them the promised land and had prophesied that, hey, you are going to be brought into this land flowing of milk and honey and it will be yours and I will be your God and you will be my people. In that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. And I would submit to you that this is, this section between verses 1 and 2, this is a section where we get to see that God has saved them at this point in the story. That they're experiencing salvation. Now, when Isaiah is speaking it, they don't necessarily have that salvation yet. But there will come a day where God will save and where God will bring a deliverer, and they will experience that salvation. They will have a revelation from God. So you can go to the next slide here. Um, The first point that I'd like to draw from these verses is that redemption, or you could fill in the blank salvation there, but redemption restores us to intimacy with God because our sin is what separates us from God the the broken things that we experience or we engage with have the power to separate us from god but god wasn't satisfied to have heaven without us so to speak and he wants that relationship he's not content with having his children or his bride be rebellious and chasing after other lovers And so God is promising a day where he is going to step in and he is going to set everything right and he will redeem his people. Now here's this moment in the movie. I couldn't find any of the color versions of this, but here's a moment in the movie where where George comes back. Here we go. And um, he's just... Uh, he, he's just been at, I think, Nick's bar or something. And, like, um, he's like, Clarence, Clarence, this is so terrible. I just want to go home. I just want to go home. And so then he's on the bridge and uh, he discovers that the police officer comes up and says, George, George. And in the whole thing, uh, in the whole circumstance, nobody knew who George was because he hadn't been born yet. But here's this moment where George discovers, you know who I am wow isn't that amazing and what I love about that in connection with this these verses from Isaiah is that intimacy goes both ways it's both that we would know God truly as our covenant God the Lord who saves us and that we would be known by him and that we would take joy in that knowing that there would be that mutual intimacy and that connection with God based on that redemption, that salvation that we experience because in verse 2 it says, Behold, God is my salvation. Not anything I've done, not any of my works, but God alone is my salvation and i Will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. And in connection with the people of Israel, these are a people who had not been living as though God was their salvation, they had been ignoring God, they'd been ignoring what Isaiah was saying. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing for a preacher to be preaching a message and the people not be listening to a word they say? Kind of like when I talk to my kids and I'm like, hey, you need to do this and they completely blow me off. That is a terrible feeling, friends, and I know by all the head shakes that you know what I'm talking about. That is a terrible feeling. But yet, God chose to redeem us. He chose to redeem Israel. And redemption restores us to intimacy with God. He, he makes up the difference and makes a way where there was no way because of the fall. And so now we can have the hope of intimacy with God today because God is our, our salvation. Go ahead and go to the next slide. And that leads to this next bit where kind of at the heart of the passage is Isaiah 12, 3, where it says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And what this shows me is that restoration, that redeeming, that restoring of the people, that salvation they experience, leads us to express the revelation with joy. Now, maybe it's just the excitement that we partake in salvation, that once we actually recognize what salvation truly is, that we then think, well, I'm going to partake in this and I'm going to be excited about that. That's one way. But then we, we've talked about the verse before, we've referenced it before, but that, that psalm that says, taste and see that the Lord is good, when we have experienced god's salvation and he has become our salvation and he has restored us that revelation produces joy in our lives and we continue to drink well water from that well that image from we that is our source that is our strength salvation is our source and that produces joy in us now the picture here I love this because so the bank was going to call the building loan up on, uh, on their debt that they had and uh, we're going to throw him in jail and so there's the police officer and there's the bank examiner and this whole thing and George doesn't care. He's just so joyful to be alive that I mean, he's got snow on him, he's still got his coat, and he's probably caught a cold at this point, but he doesn't care because he's alive. He's experienced that joy of living that comes from a revelation like that movie puts on that he got. And that restored his perspective. Because all throughout the movie, up until up even through all of the stuff with Clarence and Clarence you know leading him to all the different places and what would it be like if you weren't alive and all these things through all of that he had a a stinky attitude guys it was just really poor and he was like oh woe is me and I'm gonna I'm gonna just be cranky about everything and like even the moment when he and his wife or then not even girlfriend, got together. It's this really weird, tense moment of the movie where it's like, listen, I'm not going to stay here in town. I'm not going to be held down by all this. I have big dreams. Ah. He's just, and there's some backstory to that. I think he was, uh, he was channeling some of that, that experience that he had had as a World War II veteran, experiencing shell shock and, PTSD and not knowing how to deal with those emotions and everything but here at this point in the movie he doesn't care because he's so happy to be alive there's a joy in him now because he's experienced salvation he's experienced restoration now when when I I'm kind of marrying these two together I understand that You know, this guy, he may not be an actual saved Christian. I totally get that. But within the story, he's experienced a salvation, a saving, a rescue. And we will have joy when God is our salvation. And that's what Isaiah reveals to us. All right, go to the next slide. Revelation inspires us to respond to our good God. And at this point in the movie, we'll, we'll read the thing from Isaiah. But at this point in the movie, I'm backtracking a little bit. This is when George is running through town. And he is, he's been so curmudgeonly about Bedford Falls the entire time. He's like, this stupid town. Rah, rah, I don't like it. But then he gets to this point. And he's like, hello, Bedford Falls. Here I am. I'm George Bailey, and he's just so stinking excited about this revelation that he just wants to spread it to anyone and everyone that he can meet, because even the people who would think he's crazy, he's so stinking excited that a transformation has taken place that he's now alive again, and that revelation inspired him to respond so, in Isaiah twelve four through 6, it says, And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. And then, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel." that section and and really so in isaiah you might uh have a heading that says you know uh god is my strength and my song or it's this response song that when well with worship worship is our response to experiencing the saving acts of god the saving work of god so for the people of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt, they came through the Red Sea on the very, like once they had reached the other side, there was great rejoicing. Yay! uh, But then there was Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, and she was leading with the tambourine, and she's leading them in this song about how God had been their salvation. And they responded to that work with worship. And In the case of Isaiah, there's this revelation that there's going to be a Messiah who's going to come out of David's branch. Isaiah didn't mention how, I know how the current king is really a schmuck and you don't want him and he's really just, he's a bad dude. But he does say, there will come a day when there will be a good king who will come and lead God's people as David had done. Because all of the kings had been compared to David up until that point and really for all of the the record of the kings. And so, that king was going to set all things to right and reveal the goodness of God to the people. And they would then respond with this worship. And this brings me to the idea that... We will have joy when God is our salvation. But in the midst of the Advent season, as we're looking ahead to Christmas, when we celebrate the coming of Jesus, that right now we may need some saving. I don't know all that you guys are going through. Um, If you ever want to talk about it, I'd love to have coffee or tea or... Cocoa or just sit with you um it'd be good to just get to sit down and meet with you and hear your story you know what you're going through and you all know all the ways that maybe right now you need god to become your salvation again i'm not suggesting necessarily that you've gone as far as the people of judah had done where they were worshiping idols and doing all this and doing all that but sometimes as we get farther and farther away from the moment when we were initially saved and we first believe the gospel the farther we get away from that the world presses down on us and we experience those trials and tribulations that the apostle Paul talks about in second Corinthians and really that the whole Bible is full of examples of we experience those things and so my encouragement to you today is that you may not feel joyful you might not and that's okay I've called this series, In the Waiting, because especially at this point in history, we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, we have those, um, those people of the Trinity that we get to in experience today. But in the waiting, while we wait for Jesus to come again, or for those people who are still waiting for a savior who don't even know about Jesus yet God wants to come in and speak a word of hope and a word of joy into our lives because God is a God who gives joy in the midst of our sorrow and our pain and the truth is we will have joy not When we have a big screen TV, friends, as awesome as they are. Not when the mortgage gets paid off, although that's a huge milestone, friends. Not when, I don't know, just fill in the blank, whatever you've been waiting on, or when the promise gets fulfilled, or whatever. We will have joy when our hope and trust is in God, not necessarily in the promises. Not necessarily in the stuff that we get from God. Although God is a God who is good and wants to give good gifts to his children and wants to provide for us and will take care of us. But again, the point of the Christian experience is that God would be enough. That, like I sang in that song, that, well, let me... Let me pull up some of the words here. Hold on. So, one of the verses that really speaks to me and has always spoken to me is how it's uh, the verse 3 where it says, Never let me go. Hide me in your heart. Banish every fear that's tearing me apart. Only you can save only you can save me now. And and I could go on. I could sing the whole song again because I'm just, I love that song so much. But there are moments where I need God to be my shepherd, holding this stinky lamb who's cranky and rebellious and just wants to maybe bite his hand, right? And just like, just a i have stinky attitudes friends and i hope you never have to experience it but you know i need god to hold me and i believe you probably have times where you need god to hold you too and god wants you to know that he's here and you can experience him afresh today as your salvation Your salvation. Not just the salvation for the whole world. Although that's true. But he wants to be yours. And he wants you to be his. So you can have that intimacy. So that you can have that restoration in your life. And so that you can have that revelation that continues to have you respond again and again to the goodness of of god far beyond advent because it doesn't stop here friends and so would you stand with me as we pray and uh uh, robin and nancy you can come up and we'll sing the closing song Um, father we love you we worship and we adore you we magnify your name here in this place For all the joy that you've given us thank you that you are near to the brokenhearted thank you that whether we are in the highest of highs or the lowest of lows god you are right here with us ready to be our god and for us to be your people And so, Jesus, thank you that you are a good God. Thank you that you are the good shepherd and the good Savior. And Lord, we respond with songs of love and joy and thankfulness for who you are and all that you have shown yourself to be to us through the work on the cross through your rising from the dead, from just meeting us in the day-to-day. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we join with the people of Judah that Isaiah was prophesying about. Lord, we sing praises to the Lord, for you are good, and your mercy endures forever. So Lord, as we respond in this song, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.